Welcome everyone. I'm Kevin Miller and this is The Ziggler Show. Inspired by the grandfather of inspiration himself, Zig Ziggler. We've surpassed 40 million downloads because we bring messages that help people make the change they need to get the results they want. In this episode, how do we rate ourselves on playing it safe or going for it? As a listener of The Ziggler Show, I know you are a more aspiring person than the norm, as are all of our listeners. So how do we all rate ourselves in our endeavors? In show 727, I talked with Neil Pasricha, whose latest book, You Are Awesome, just debuted as the number one international bestseller. He asked why in our culture today where we have more conveniences and amenities than ever, are we playing it so safe? And it was from this that I asked the Ziggler audience in your job or business on a scale from one to 10, how would you rate yourself for playing it safe or totally going for the gusto and why? And let me tell you this, we only had two people rate themselves high as a 10, and we had plenty of lower threes and fours. So I had Neil join me to co-host this Q&A, and as usual, the comments and my guests' responses were just profound. You'll come away with, I think, a better understanding of your own propensities and why you may be going after things in one area of your life and not so much in others. And he explains the very real role of cognitive entrenchment that we deal with. I resonated with that a lot. He also expounded on the issue of following our passions and made this brilliant comment that flies in the face of having work that's just all fun and play. He said, the point is finding work that you love so much, you'll endure the pain and punishment. That I thought was just, again, brilliant. So this was as solid a show as I've ever done regarding relevant issues that we are all dealing with today. Neil and I will be right with you after I share some relevant products and services with you. Hey, a quick call out. The last review for The Ziggler Show was a four-star review that said, great content, but the quality of the sound needs fixed. You need a high-pass filter or something, like the, the S's are just piercing. So first off, I heard you. I listened to these comments, and I do that somewhat. I do have hard S's in my, in my vernacular. So I did add a high-pass filter. So I just wanted to let you guys know I listened to the reviews that you give. However, I also would love it if somebody would bump that less than five-star review down a little bit. If you think it's warranted, give us a review in iTunes for The Ziggler Show. And let me know. You can Facebook me at Agent K Miller, and I'd love to just say thanks. All right, well, Neil, I'm just going to dive in, man, because we got really good. Everybody blows me away by how candid and vulnerable they are with their responses. So I'm going to dig in and just throw them at you. You ready? I'm ready. All right. Carolyn Delaney, she says, I quit my job to start an IT consulting business and launched a, she has in quotes, part-time pro, uh, passion project, a magazine. It grew so fast, I had to stop consulting and work on it full-time. So I'd have to say I'm at a 10. Not that it always feels this way, but for the most part, I feel like I'm stepping into places that God's prepared me for. Other times, I feel like I'm taking shallow breaths through a straw. Today happens to be a straw day. But boom, there you go. I love that. And what yeah. I hear in that answer is that she's letting her passions lead her in a really nice Venn diagram overlap with mm. what the quote unquote market is telling her. And so often in life, it's about finding, if you pursue your passions purely, then you may never find a market. You might be spending all day baking brownies in your kitchen or building decks in your backyard and no one wants to buy those from you. Yeah. And if you serve the market purely, then you might 
quote unquote, sell out and not sell out in any sort of judgmental way, but sell it to yourself and your values and your passions. And you might just be following the market and do whatever the Facebook advertising algorithm tells you to do on the next day. And suddenly you're posting bikini, bikini shots of yourself on Instagram and you don't even know why, you know? And, and so I love that. I think it's Carolyn. Her response seemed to have a healthy balance yeah. of both. Well, and I appreciate you saying that, talking about the passions, because I know there's so much debate on that, following your passions or not. And I literally, this morning, Neil, uh, family text from some of my older kids, we're talking about that and the reality of, okay, you find that work you're passionate about or, or you love, but it's still hard work. There's still going to be things. It's not all play. I, I'm, not, I'm not a big fan of that quote. You know, the one about mm -hmm. kind of like find the work you love and it, you'll, or you'll never work a day in your life. I'm like, that's just not ever what I've experienced. No, this is, you know, you and I, but we both believe this because commencement speeches always lie, right? They say, find your passion, follow your dreams. No, the question should be, do you love it so much you can take the pain and the punishment too? Oh, that's good. The, the book has been, I've been invited on TV shows lately. Just doesn't happen. It's not like I spend my life on TV shows, but just because the book came out, I've invited myself on a bunch of TV shows. And you know what I say on those shows? I say, you guys are TV talk show hosts. Everybody probably thinks, well, I could do that. I want to do that. But what they don't know is that you got paid four bucks an hour in Timbuktu yeah. for a decade while you slaved away trying to get to like the quote unquote big city to be like a broadcast journalist. That's the pain and punishment that goes with becoming a TV talk show host. So don't just envision that end goal. Maybe it's Carolyn's successful magazine, but say, and she said, I have some days where I just take short breaths through the straw or whatever she said. So it's like, what is the pain and punishment? If you want to be a rock star, are you comfortable lugging amps to a smoky nightclub yeah. at 2 a.m. on a Tuesday for a year? Like, are you? Because that's part of the pain and punishment that goes towards becoming a successful musician. I Thank you. And I won't say how little I made doing this podcast in the early days as well, because it was a pittance. But that is a meme waiting to happen right there from you. Uh, something to the effect of your work. Do you love it so much you'll endure the pain and punishment? I'm going to send that to my family text here when we're done. Uh, thank you for that. Hey, this is an interesting one. And it's relevant to me saying, you know, the question I said in your job or business on a scale, blah, blah, blah. So here, Dennis responded in regards to that. He said, playing it safe. And I wanted to get your commentary on that because I understand what he's saying. Playing it safe has different meanings for self-employed versus working for a company. When working for someone else, your risk isn't in the future of the company, but rather the future of your employment. So the risk slash reward balance is off. If you take a big risk, you won't see the full upside of success, but still have much of your future at risk if it fails. It's a big cultural challenge for successful companies looking to grow how to not penalize risk takers. Uh, fire bullets, then calibrated cannonballs, right? Personally, I say as, as an employee, I will push it, but only to the point that I risk damaging a relationship or violating a sacred company value. I, I liked his commentary overall there. Yeah. It's one thing for Dennis, me to blow it out. Wait, uh, yeah. Well, there's a lot happening in this comment. And Dennis uh, went on the beautiful little Facebook rant for us, which is so nice. And yeah. I, I think he's, I think I love the way his mind works. Uh, because I think that's all true. And so I'll tell you from my, my, my own story here. I, I worked at Walmart. I was in human resources. I was in, uh, I was the leadership development manager. It was my sole source of income. And whenever the CEO would stand up in front of the whole company of thousand people, he'd say, anyone have any questions for me? Nobody would put up their hand, not one. Whenever the head of the department would say like, anyone have any questions for me? At the end of like the team meeting, nobody put up their hand, not one. 
then guess what happened, Kevin? I started a side hustle. My side hustle became writing my blog, 1000awesomethings.com. Did it take off? Eh, it took a while. Did it ha have any ads? No. But over time, it turned into a book deal and then another book deal. And I kept doing the pain and the punishment side of things so that I eventually had another source of income. Now I had two sources of income. Now, here's the interesting point. The success of my side hustle enabled me to take more risks at work. When the CEO would stand up in front of the company meeting and say, excuse me, does anybody have any? I put up my hand. And I was the only one out of like a thousand people. So he said, yes, Neil. And I asked a question. Yeah. And he answered it. And guess what happened afterwards? I was told good job by a hundred other leaders for asking, being brave enough to ask a question. And guess what happened at work at Walmart? I started getting promotions because I was starting to speak truth to power and ask good questions. Because I was getting successful at Walmart, guess what happened? I took more risks in my writing. My blog became more creative. Hmm. I, I didn't care if anyone came or not because I had my Walmart job to quote unquote fall back on if it didn't. Did I ever put ads on my blog? Never, because I didn't feel like I needed to monetize it because I had I was able to do the book thing. That worked out for me. My point is taking risks in other areas of your life actually enables you, somewhat ironically, to take more risks in maybe the core area of your life. And guess what? Also somewhat ironically, that helps you, that helps you be more successful. So suddenly I start getting all these promotions at Walmart and my blog on my writing is taking off and off and off. And I think part of the reason both of them became successful at the same time was because I was taking risks in each of them because, quote unquote, I had the mental fallback of the other. Think of yourself and your cash flow streams as the number of legs on a table. A one-legged table, like those little tall ones at like the bar, you can kick them over pretty easily and they fall. What if you had two legs, two-leg table, or a three-leg table, or a four-leg table? The number of cash flow streams you have enables you to have a steadier table and to take more risk in each of the things you're doing, which will get you more promotions and more money, ironically. Well, okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to, since you said that, I'm going to go ahead and read Dennis. We'll make this a Dennis show and read his second part too, because I actually, I, <laughs> Oh, we got a part two. We got a part two. <laughs> well, cause that was, you know, cause he kind of gave that little commentary on, on that issue. But then I said, okay, but well, what about you, Dennis personally? So, um, I wasn't sure I was going to read it, but since you said all that, and this is very relevant, he said, for me, it's contextual. I ask him how he's doing personally for himself. We have multiple irons on the fire in our short term rental business. I'm very conservative. Uh, because a rental house is a significant percentage percentage of our net worth and should uh, something go sideways, it would become a big drag on our financials. So on that, I'd say I'm only about a one or a two. In this area, I'd rather miss an opportunity than have a failure. In my wife's business, though, we've thrown thousands of dollars at, mark, at a marketing program that totally failed. While the dollars were considerable, it was a controlled duration. And when we were done, we were done. We didn't look back. We don't regret it. Uh, so there I'd say eight or nine. At my day job, though, he works for a company. I'd say I'm a nine or a 10 when it comes to risk of internal change, processes, programs, et cetera, but probably only a five or a six when it comes to external decisions, customers, and pricing. Uh, I guess it all comes back to judgment and experiences. I've seen a lot of business decisions go well and a lot, a lot not go well. The ones that I, that didn't go well probably left a deeper mark than they should have and make me way more conservative in the future, at least on big risks. And then I, I appreciate this. He says, before writing this, I would have said that I was much more black and white on risk taking, but putting it into words shows that it's hard for me to confine it to a single number. So there he is. Doing just what you did, talked about, looking at these different areas of his life. 
I love that. And he's probably a little bit more analytical than I am personally, but we have a similar worldview. And here's the thing. I want to just say to the listeners, because they might listen to me and say like, oh, well, that's easy for you to say. You took a lot of risks. You're risk seeking. You know, you, you're an entrepreneur. You, you got lucky or whatever. Here's I, Guys, listen to me. I am the most financially conservative person you actually ever meet. I, I am, my, my parents are Indian. They raised me like pinch pennies, you know, and the mantra was go be a doctor because that's like a fail safe profession that also makes a lot of money. You know, if, if, by the way, for any Indian person that's listening, they're probably laughing because they, their parents <laughs> told them to be a doctor too. And then if not, you know, be a lawyer. And if not, my guess be a dentist or an engineer, but certainly have a day job with a salary, with benefits, with structure where you can check in, you can check out, you know, maybe you're working towards a pension. So for me, guess what? It took me eight years, eight years. I published and wrote five books. I gave 200 speeches and I still didn't quit my day job. I was doing the Walmart thing the whole time, the eight years. And then when I eventually left, I thought, oh my gosh, I should have done this five years ago. But ironically, because I was leaning into both, I was able to have a ba- have a fallback plan in my mind, and that conservatism let me become more successful. So don't let your conservatism hold you back here, guys. If you're listening to this and you're thinking, well, how did he do it? I'll tell you exactly how to do it. Spend five hours a week on the side making no money doing something you love. And then if it takes off, make it 10 hours. And if it takes off, make it 20. You don't got to make any money from it. If it's, passion pro- if it's a passion project and you're loving the pain and punishment that goes with it, and if it starts to take off, you can still do it. You don't have to quit your day job. Just just keep doing it until you see what you got. Just like the first question we had that was yeah. what it turned into like a magazine or something like that. And she was trying to start an IT consulting firm. Like, see where your passion project goes. You have no risk. You're doing it on the side. You don't got to tell people at work. And what you're talking about. So I've, I've, uh, I've spent two years actually employed in my entire life. But even in my self-employment, I'm doing that. You get your one gig up, it's doing well. And while it's paying the bills, I go off and start the other gig on the side. So very similar to that as opposed to just throwing caution through, which I actually did, and I have scars to prove it. Uh, Here's one. Jennifer, she says, wow, hard question, because unfortunately my answer is a five, because it all depends on my month and my sales goals, and that shouldn't be the case in sales. I should be at a 10 with every sale, but frankly, if I really need a sale to make quota, I find that I play it safe. And if I'm already over quota, I go for the gusto because I have nothing to lose, which brings me more sales, by the way. Uh, Interesting commentary on what enables us to, yeah, have that mental shift of going for the gusto. We do it when we feel like there's more security, it seems like. Well, that's exactly the same point I was making, which is that as as she, I think the, uh, I can't remember her name. What's her name? Uh, Jennifer. Jennifer, as Jennifer said, she's like, when I play it safe, trying to like close the deal at the end of the month or whatever, trying to make my quota, I actually don't do very well. But when I have already banked my quota, so I'm going for the gusto, I'm taking more risk. Guess what? It generates more sales. This is so interesting. Okay. See, most of us have this, this tendency to fall into a trap I call cognitive entrenchment. It's a phrase that I borrowed from a book and I cannot remember the name of the researcher, but remember this phrase, cognitive entrenchment. As we go through life and as we get older, we become more intellectually fragile. Why? Something I write about in You Are Awesome is this idea that the universe conspires to keep you in your lane. If 
if indeed you are in sales, then all your friends know you are in sales. So at every party you go to, you're talking about sales. So you're, more of your friends become salespeople. And all that conversation and social networking and all that, all the people you're surrounded by and the LinkedIn groups that you're part of and the Facebook groups that you're part of and the people in your contacts list and the last five people you phoned, they serve to only deepen your own skill set and knowledge in that area, which serves to further keep you in your own lane. Meaning, if you're a really successful real estate agent, uh, because you sold a great condo in your 20s and you're like, I can make money doing this. You might never know that had you actually pursued ballet for seven years, even though you loved it and never paid anything, you could be dancing at the Met right now, right? We don't know how high is high with the other things we could do. So one way to build Mm. intellectual resilience and to create anti-fragility in your mind, the opposite of cognitive entrenchment, is to constantly try new, diverse, and weird hobbies there's a study that shows that Nobel Prize winners are actually 22 times more likely than their scientific peers to have an amateur hobby outside of their profession, like magic or glass blowing or like starring in a musical theater at the town play. Say the stat again. I wasn't quick enough. Nobel Prize winners yeah. are 22 times more likely than their peers, so like other scientists, to have a totally unrelated amateur hobby outside of their profession. And the wow. examples I gave were like, they also like do magic or they are glass blowers or they are, you know, a, a, a playing Hamlet and like the town play at like the local village that they live in. Wow. And they're not good at these things. But what these things are doing are serving to ratchet them out of their cognitive entrenchment, see different models and different patterns in the world. And then, of course, as you may have guessed, apply it to the discipline of their choosing. It's very similar to the example that some listeners might know about Steve Jobs taking calligraphy at Reed College and then many years later using that to inform the font on the Apple computer. Yeah. You know, he's like, if I didn't take that bird course in an unrelated college, like I never would have like known what to make it look like. But because I had a background in calligraphy, because I took one course, I then could design the Apple font to be, you know, the right kerning and thickness or whatever it is. I'm talking out of my element here if I start going on about typefaces. But that's the point. The point is, as adults, we become intellectually fragile. Look, how many sports do you play right now, Kevin? Me? Sports do I play? I do running and bike races. Okay, so you answered the same way most adults do. In fact, you're above average. Most adults say one sport. They're like, I just play soccer on Thursdays. And if, you know, a lot of them say zero. I was going to say, that wouldn't be my guess, is zero for a lot. Right, but if I asked a ninth grader, what sports do you play? They'd say, well, every week in gym class, it's like one week we do volleyball, one week we do dodgeball one week we do cross when we and, and so you see what's happening is as children we teach people to naturally have resilience because we're exposing them to a wide variety of things but as adults guess what we stick to our lane we end up playing one sport we stick to the one thing we're good at and what we all need to be doing is have a weird hobby hobby to jostle ourselves out of our cognitive entrenchment huh and yes i went on a whole rant there i'm sorry jennifer but that's what i wanted to talk about that was no cognitive. Int- so I'm going to look that up because I love looking up stuff like that. And anything cognitive is in there. What well, reminds me of uh, this is an old book. I old, I don't know, 20 years, maybe the Medici effect. It was Franz Johansson. I'll never forget. I saw him on stage at a conference and the thing that stuck out is his research of entrepreneurs. And he said, one of the biggest things that just stood out for him was nothing brilliant other than they just try more things than the norm. So right to your point. Exactly. It is, you know, it, it, it's, it's, 
I have a monthly dashboard. So at the end of every month, I keep, I have a little four square grid that I look at on a piece of paper and I like check off the boxes of green. I mark them as green, yellow, or red. And I'm happy to tell, tell you about that if you like. But one of the things I put on every month is do a weird activity. Like just do something way out of my comfort zone every month. So at the end of every year, I've done like 12 things. Yep. They're just random. They're just weird. Like it might be going to a concert in a different city with a friend and it's a, in a type of music that I know has a big active audience, but I've never participated in it. Or it might be one month I put my entire library in the Dewey Decimal System. Like I just like I just do something weird because it shakes up my brain and it gives me all kinds of new perceptions that I can then apply to anything I want. You are listening to The Ziggler Show, and I thank you for that. So as Neil is talking about trying new things, we actually really went down that rabbit hole, and you're about to hear some really inspiring testimonies from both of us on the value of just that, trying things. I'm a massive trier in some areas of my life, like business, but as you're going to hear, Neil is socially. Uh, So we're going to get right back into it after I share these great products and services with you. Well, you're more consistent than you think because you actually told us about that in show 729, our habits show, and you hit on that. I remember because I made notes on that, that you just try something. I, and you're saying that I need to do that. Last year, my wife and I went to one of those things where it's like art and wine or something like that. And you go in and they tell you to paint something and uh, everybody does it. And I don't paint. I don't do anything like from that time of artistic thing. And talk about a different part of my brain. It was really fun, really interesting. Um, and I shouldn't say that I do woodwork stuff. I do some things like that, but not in that platform of taking, mm-hmm. you know, I don't do paint. I don't do design something and, like that. And I'll tell you why most people don't do it because they're afraid that they will suck at it. Mm-hmm. They will fail at it. They will look foolish. They will look silly. They won't be able to do it. And they think then I'll be even worse off than I am right now. Mm-hmm. And I encourage everybody go on Craigslist or go on meetup.com or any of these websites. Just literally scroll to what's happening tonight in your city and pick one. I remember I once did that and I ended up going to a talk uh, about what, <laughs> what the world might be like in the year 3000 by like some huge techno futurist guy. It was free in a coffee shop. So I guess he wasn't that huge, but like <laughs> a techno futurist guy that was not huge. And why do I tell you that story? Cause I met a woman there that I'm still friends with now, 10 years later. Oh, nice. Like nice. that, we, we had this weird thing in common where we went to this bizarre speaker. How many people go to a talk like that? Like it's just, it was just so out of my comfort zone. Well, and I ended up becoming friends with somebody there. And I want to point that out because we talk about trying things. So I would put myself high on the scale of trying things from a business standpoint or even from a personal achievement standpoint. I will. But now you're talking to me, it's a, it's a, a segment. I know a guy who's like me in that way, but he's also the guy who will go out and do things. He shows up at events. He shows up at social stuff and the things, the opportunities that have come to that guy are ridiculous. I'll never forget mm-hmm. that all of a sudden one day I really, you know, I see his post and he's in Jordan, the country Jordan on this backpacking thing with like REI or something I'm like Justin, how did this happen? How do you, he said, I just showed up here and, and the stuff happens yeah. that does not happen. So I, I, that's not a door I have opened for myself. I have a big family. I'm a homebody. And I admittedly realize that I, I'm missing opportunities. So, you know, we all have our spots of excellence. And well, the answer is say yes until you have to say no. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if, if you, if you're listening to this and you're resonating with it, you're like, I gotta get out of the house a bit more, or, you know, I could get, then just say yes, because bizarre things will land in your inbox, will be shown to you in advertisements, will be inviting you to things all the time. Mm-hmm. If you just say yes to some of those, look, you probably listen to a podcast that has a meetup. Well, did you ever consider maybe you should just go? Well, what's the downside? 
you might meet interesting people. Like I, I just think that if you say yes, then when you say no, you have another rule, which is the no or hell yes principle, where then you have to start eliminating yeah. things. I just got invited like today in an email to go to India to receive some award, which sounds totally fake. I don't know if it's real or not. And it says in the email, right in the email, uh, we will not pay you for this and we will not pay you even for your airfare. Wow. All we will pay for you is like, four night stay at this nice hotel. Maybe for all I know, it's a scam run by the hotel. But if, and I can't go for many reasons at this point in my life, but I'll tell you a few years ago, before I was married, before I had little kids, before I was doing book tour stuff, if I saw an invite like that, you know what? What if I just said yes? Yeah. I could probably figure out a way to like get an economy ticket to India. And then I got my hotel covered. I'm like, what else could I do while I was there? Like, it will be an interesting story no matter what, if I said, if I just say yes. And I certainly will learn things that I can apply elsewhere. Well, hopefully people have gotten enough inspiration just from the show. But another one, I own this movie, Jim Carrey, Yes Man. Uh, yeah. It's just. You told me about this. I did, episode 720, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, di- I do. It came up. One of my kids talked about it last night in reference to something. It's become it's become that, a reference point for my family of just, yeah. just say just say yes. Well, here's one I think you'll resonate with. Or I know a lot of people will. Josh uh, Paulison. He says he would rate himself as a four in his job and personal business. He says, I think others would view me as an eight or higher though, but I view my potential as so much higher than I'm reaching right now. And Mm -hmm. I'm not sure what's realistic. I think if I felt like like I was succeeding more, I would consider myself bolder. That I resonate with. I know with what I do, people, and I'm sure with, yeah, like what you talked about, people look at what you do and they think, oh my gosh, you're nuts. You're way out there. But for you, it's the norm. And what I generally think of is what I'm not doing. And so I don't know, I didn't, I didn't answer this for myself. Where would I put myself right now? And eh, six ish, maybe, maybe seven. Uh, so my answer, my reflection on this one, Kevin, it's going to sound weird because I'm 40. I just turned 40. And I, um, I think if I was 30 and I heard this and I don't know the age of the commenter and I'm guessing you don't either. Uh-huh. But my instinct is that someone kind of younger. Uh, so if I was 30 in here, then I'd be like, oh, my gosh, seize, take the bull by the horns. Of course, people don't realize you know your full potential. What else can you be doing outside of work to increase your, your, your development? Uh, are you challenging yourself enough? What books are you reading? Sign up for my monthly uh, book club or Ryan Holiday's monthly book club or Bill Gates' monthly book club. Challenge your thinking. Make sure you're always reading uh, you know, uh, at least a book a week. Like I would push that person to achieve their potential. Mm-hmm. And then I had something happen last night, and I would I would just want to share it with you. I was at a I was at a person's house last night, a CEO. Um, I was invited for dinner, and I went to his house for dinner. It was a gigantic, lavish house, like it was probably maybe the biggest house I've ever been in. It, immaculately decorated, expensive art in every wall, and it was a two person dinner, me and him, and it was like a huge spread of sushi. And I said, "Is this just for us?" And he said, "Yeah." And I said, oh my gosh, like I'll eat like seven bites of this, but there's like a hundred pieces of sushi here. And then we, you know, we relaxed in this other room and to have a drink. And I said, what are you, what are you going for here? What do you want? Hmm. And he says, well, I wanted to make a billion dollars. And I thought to myself, hmm, you know, baked into that comment we just heard where other people would say I'm an eight, but I think of myself as a four. I also just want to touch the heart of that human being and just say to that person, can you just be a little easier on yourself? Hmm. Just, just a little bit easier. Cause if you've got that gene and that wiring 
to go for it. We both know you're gonna. We both know that. You're gonna. You're gonna. You can't turn off that ambition. But just be a little easier on yourself so you don't go through your entire life thinking that you are lesser than because you don't have a billion dollars or you don't have, like I'm using the example I literally was told that last night by somebody. But the guy I talked to is worth probably a gigantic amount of money, but he doesn't have this billion dollars. So, so what in that four out of 10, could you just look on a piece of paper and say, I can let that go. You don't need to own the whole world. You don't need to have the number one most downloaded podcast in the whole world. You don't need to, you don't have to let someone else bear the weight of that. Let someone else carry that torch, make the best thing you can. Okay. Do something you love, take the pain and the punishment with it and just chill because Life's too short to be hard on yourself. That's all I want to say to like the heart. And I know that ambitious person's going to stay ambitious. Yeah. I just want them to be a little bit easier on themselves. Okay. There's your second meme for the show folks. Life's too short to be hard on yourself. And I'm going to follow that with a really relevant sharing, by the way, Josh, you shared that you said, it sounds like he's young. So I went and looked at his comment and yeah, I, yeah, 20, 25, somewhere in there. So yeah, you know, I'm talking to my old self. Okay. That's why I knew. Well, so on what you just said though, it brings up that point, you know, here we are, obviously nobody's listening to this show who does not have some level of aspiration of progress they want to make in their life. But I do think it brings into the question of how much, and I think people do get worn out with, man, can I also, yeah, just be okay with where I am. So here's one that's relevant. Brian Lynchard, he says, I'm middle of the road, five or six. I've lost money before, and that probably contributes to me playing it somewhat safe. Plus, I really just want to fish and hike more and work less. I really have no desire to make more more and more money than I need or more money just for the sake of making money. I responded to him. I said, do you feel like you have the available time to do those things that you want? And he says, yes, for the most part, I have a flexible schedule. I'm home by five every day and pretty much get in most of my workouts and hiking and fishing and other, other stuff. My sales have been down this year, but for the previous five or six years, they were really good. I really need to remember to be thankful to God and appreciate the setup that I have going. Sounds like he's okay with where he's at. I mean, that's awesome. That's what we all want. And sometimes just being honest with herself is the hard thing. I meet some people. Look, in, in my last book, The Happiness Equation, the one before this mm-hmm. current one, I have a whole chapter on called Never Retire. Mm-hmm. And I t- dismantle the entire retirement industry. I take apart the entire apparatus, show the history of it, why it's flawed, how that retirement age of 65 was invented when lifespan was 67. You know, I, I sort of take the whole thing apart and I say, actually, all we want to do is something we love. And if it has what I call the four S's in it, then it will be soul satisfying. The four S's are social connection, the stimulation of learning something new, mm-hmm. okay, the structure of getting out of bed in the morning for, a, for something, for a reason, and the story of being part of something bigger than yourself, which is like the company's mission or what are you working towards that you couldn't do alone. Social, stimulation, structure, and story. Why do I tell you that story? Because one of my closest friends, every single time I see him, looks me right in the eye. He's like, oh, by the way, Neil, you're dead wrong about that one. (laughs) He's like, I'm going to retire. And I tell you what, I will play golf every day. And guess what? I'm going to enjoy it. And you know what else, Neil? I don't think you're, I don't think you're right at all. I don't need to have any friends beside me. I will go golfing by myself. I don't need to be learning something new. I just love golf. And you know what? You're so wrong. It's hilarious. And it's like one of my best friends. I always laugh with him about it. 
My point is, take the advice that resonates with you and put it in your pocket. That's why it shows like this are so good because you will take the advice that resonates with you and put it in your pocket. And all the rest, chuck it. Chuck it. If all you want to do is fish and hunt, fish and hunt. Don't listen to someone telling you not to do otherwise. Don't listen to Neil telling you never to retire in his last book. <laughs> just go fish and hunt, man. That's fine. Just be you and be cool with it. That is wise counsel. And folks, you mentioned the happiness equation, which I'm thinking, Neil, I'm going to have to go buy it. I didn't. I read your recent one. That's what we talked about. I didn't read that one yet. So um, there's next on my reading list. These two... I know I have a little context on these two guys. They both gave real short answers. And I think that it's because of they are, they're a little discontent with where they're at. Wade Maines, he just says, I'm just a four. I just don't perform well dealing with the unknown. Right after him, Thomas Zelensky, who again, I, I have a little context with. He says, I play it really safe because I need stability, but I'd rather go for the gusto. I mean, so there you have two people admitting right where you wrote, you know, about in your book that here we are in this culture where we have, uh, we should have seemingly should have more propensity to go for the gusto. We should have ease and yeah, comfort. We've and, got it good. We, we live longer than we've ever lived. We have higher education rates. We were take, we have clean water coming out of our taps. We, like we have, we're living in an awesome town. And yet, so why do we take, yeah. And yet, so here's it, what I'd say. Go ahead. Yeah. No, no, go Well, ahead. here's my, my point is that I make this one point in you are awesome about creating a failure budget. Okay, and what I advocate for people is move the decimal place on your salary over three digits. So if you make $50,000 a year, then it's $50, okay? And so could you say, if you're one of those two people thinking about how they don't have the risk or don't have courage, go for the gusto, could you say, well, I'll just create a little $50 this week. I have to spend that money on doing something that is outside of my comfort zone that I don't know if it will work or not that I have no idea if it will just be a waste of money, but I am giving myself permission to fail. Because if you can start to take little tiny gambles like that, little risks like that, guess what? You will end up at a cooking class for Indian food when you don't even like spices. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And guess what you might discover? You might discover you have a passion for X or Y or Z, or you might meet somebody that you find interesting, or you might... You'll just put yourself in a position to learn because your learning rate is the steepest when you know the least. So if you are struggling to take risks in your life or quote unquote, go for the gusto, could you make it a simple little failure budget that you force yourself to spend to just simply learn? Well, I like that so much, Neil. We talked about that failure budget. That's something I focused on in our first show together. It reminds me of my dad, Dan Miller. Uh, many people know him. I just did a show with him and his concept as of late is just take 5% of what you make. If you yeah. said, and invest it in yourself, put it in a budget. I love that because my, my business partner, he's a big budgeter. They put, you know, they do kind of do the envelopes or at least they cash mm -hmm. money and different things. And he says, my gosh, we've got, I haven't been on a date with my wife in a long time. We got like 500 bucks sitting over here. We got to go use it. I love that idea of having that for that personal investment. I got this money yeah. squared away from myself. Yeah. What am I going to use it on? Yeah. You have to, and if you don't do it that way, then people like me, we won't try it. We won't take risks. And the beautiful thing about it is I think risks increase your learning so much that they also increase your income. And as your income increases, guess what happens? Your failure budget goes up too. Yeah. Like if you're, if you're like a hip hop star or a tech billionaire, you could spend a million dollars a year taking wild chances and yeah. guess what will happen? Yeah. You'll have dramatically more 
black swan opportunities and huge hits as well. All right. I love it. I need more people like that. Michael, Ida, I, I'm not sure he is, Ida. Uh, he said, I'd have to say I'm a 10 all the way. I've always been a riverboat gambler, so to speak. Yes, I've made mistakes and had setbacks, but I remain self-employed in America for the last 38 years. So hopefully I'm doing something right. The big thing for me is the mindset that failure is not an option. I dig his, he's obviously an inspired guy, um, but I did want to take that statement of a riverboat gambler because I do, I'm concerned that we have a big part of the population, like the two guys we just talked about, Wade and Thomas, and that's what they think of, that if they're going to change from where they are, they have to become a riverboat gambler. And yet I don't see that's what you're saying. They don't have to be something they're not. They no. don't have to throw caution to the wind, but I, I'm afraid it gets diluted with that perspective. Well, and this is where if it's going to come to that and people are going to put up a little bit of a mental wall and say, I don't want to be a riverboat gambler, what I would say is, fine, don't spend any money on stuff then. None. Go to the library, walk down the aisles that you never walked down, take out a book you would never have read. That's free. You know, like it, it doesn't cost any money to go down um, to play a different sport with your kid at the park that you never tried before. Right. It doesn't cost any money to do all half the stuff we're talking about. It, listen to a podcast that you never listened to before. Go into a category in the podcast app that you don't ever think to go in. Right? When you go on Netflix, if all you watch is documentaries, go over to rom-coms. If all you watch is rom-coms, go to documentaries. Some of the stuff that we're talking about doesn't have to cost money. It just puts your brain in different situations, avoiding cognitive entrenchment. Well, Take a different route home from work. Well, and you, you know, you're talking to something. We talk so much and we did, you and I did the habit show together. And what are the habits that you employ to, you know, have the success you want in your life? We're all looking for a good routine. We're looking for that routine that works for us. And yet I hear you talking to the, the, the problem with that can be that we just get entrenched in that routine. And, and, and I, I also just want to layer in here the fact that the world today, with especially the big tech companies and the way social media creates echo chambers and the way the news media creates echo chambers, is if you don't do this, you're at very big risk of slipping into a funnel where all you see from the YouTube algorithm, from the Netflix algorithm, from the Instagram algorithm, from the seven things you look at every day is just stuff you want to see. It will actually force you to become cognitively entrenched and the huh. world is going to do this because they think that they're serving you better and they can make more money off you because they'll ha addict you to their technologies for a longer period of time this is the game this is the battle we have to wage otherwise hmm. all you'll be doing is if you're if all that you will be fed in all the algorithms that you consume because we all do is stuff that the world thinks that you want and it will never feel, feed you totally unrelated things yeah, I'm so curious uh, who I'm looking that up. We got to figure out what book you read, Cognitive Entrenchment. Oh, that's from, I know what that's from. That's from the book Range by David Epstein. Range. Uh-huh, by David Epstein. And he's referring to a study inside that book. So we can dig, dig, dig into his footnotes and find out the exact study. But I, okay. um, I, I learned that phrase from David Epstein. Got it. Thank you. And, and range, by the way, is not dissimilar to resilience, right? Like it's become instead of specializing in one thing and becoming intellectually fragile, you demonstrate range and become anti-fragile. That's exactly kind of we're, we have a decent amount of overlap between our work. And I'll check it out for sure. Here's one, Terry Johnson. He says, after being in business for six months, I had $10 in my business account. 
I almost quit, was very close to going back to work as an employee, which is my personal definition of hell. I have seen too many clients grow too fast and lose it all by overcommitting and growing for the sake of growing, slow and steady, having a calm head, low fixed expenses, and not measuring my success on how others live and run their business for me is the key. Appreciate that. What he said at the beginning though, 10 bucks in his business account, we may have talked about this in the first show together, Neil, but it, that kind of, uh, thinking it does bring me to, I do not know. I live in a world of people going after things. I don't I'm trying to think, do I know anybody who says, man, I went after something. It ruined my life. Mm-hmm. I literally ended up homeless and destitute. I, I don't know stories of that. I know far more people with regrets of not having done like you saying, I stayed at Walmart. I finally did left it. And my first leave it. And my first thought was, I wish I had done it five years earlier. Now, again, it's not a riverboat gambler, not throwing caution to the wind, but I, I don't, maybe, maybe somebody does. They have a really bad story of themselves or somebody else. And it just wrecked them. They tried something. I don't know many though. It, what's well, the worst and, that can and, happen? And, and because even when you do hear those stories, what you don't hear, because it takes time for people to recognize it, if they say they put, say they cash out of their full time job and put all their life savings into like a condo that got flooded. Right. <laughs> I don't know, making it up. Right, right. But so, but what you what you don't hear in the moment when you hear those stories is what they gained from that experience five years down the road or ten years down the road. What they learned about themselves, what they learned not to do, what they learned about relationships that they built or didn't build. So. Even negative experiences, well, maybe especially negative experiences, are huge t- teaching and learning opportunities. Yeah. So most of the mistakes or regrets people have in life are not regrets of action, but they are regrets of inaction. They are re- people don't typically at the end of their life regret something they did. They usually regret something they didn't do. I should have asked her to the prom. I should have quit my job. I should have done something, and I didn't. That's usually the type of regrets people have. I agree. Cause man, I do have some pretty hard stories in my own life of things where I, I have regrets. I, I wish I had not done that. However, I'm grateful for the redemption and I have redeemed that. My wife's real big to say, you know, talking about college and stuff that, yeah, Kevin, I, you didn't go to college. I didn't, uh, I didn't get an MBA. I just went and spent in the way of losing hundreds of thousand dollars in business efforts. And that's where I got my MBA. So I got it. I probably spent more than if I'd gotten a role. But would you be doing what you're doing now? If it wasn't for absolutely all that? not. No. And aren't you loving what you're doing? Are you learning yep. from it? And is it working? I mean, this is the yeah. thing, right? So it's the end of history illusion. We think that history ends right where we make a mistake. You get a divorce or you get fired from your job. You think life is over. I'll never find something new. I'll never meet someone again. He or she will never date me. I'll, nobody will ever date me. This is called the end of history illusion. It's a, it's a very famous phrase. It comes from Daniel Gilbert at Harvard University because we all do that. We all have that natural tendency. But when you ask people who did get fired, or did get a divorce five years later, they always tell you the same thing. It was the best thing that ever happened to me because if it hadn't happened, I wouldn't have done X, Y, and Z, and which led me to today where I am right now. And I think the same thing about my failed marriage. If it wasn't for that divorce, I wouldn't have met Leslie. I think that same way about so many things in my life. If it wasn't for error A, B, and C, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing right now. If I didn't get fired from Procter & Gamble, my very first job, which is chapter, like it's chapter two in, in, in You Are Awesome, I write about this, if, I, if that whole job didn't blow up, I might still be there selling bounty paper towels in a cubicle right now. But I get to talk to you about the seventh book I've just written because that job did not work out. Yeah. At the time, I thought my life was over and I was 
going to hit the streets. I'm grateful this show is not sponsored by Bounty Paper Towels. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you just ruined it for me, man. I uh, thank you again for being with us, Neil. This is why I wanted you on for a third time in a short period of time. So people would further digest your message. I love the message and I love the humility and the grace with which you deliver it. Thank you for giving us your time. Thank you, Kevin. You're doing the hard work. You're lifting up this incredible little megaphone out to the world. You get to shout, but I know behind that is a ton of hard work. It's creating this huge platform. Look, you had the wherewithal to even post and interact and do all this community building. So I could just dial in and talk. So you're doing the hard work. Thank you for the service you're providing to the world. Thanks for having me back. My honor and my privilege. Thanks, Neil. So I assume this has you thinking of how you rate yourself in playing it safe and hopefully inspires you to step out more, small or big, toward what you believe in. Well, coming up in episode 737, being respected most by those who know you best. I've always felt to know the true measure of a man is to audit how his wife and kids are doing. So it stood out to me when Mark Batterson said a primary goal for his life was to be famous in his home. And to do so, he needed to be at home. Well, Mark was my guest in show 735, where we discussed how to position yourself for blessings from his new book, Double Blessing. He's a best-selling author and pastor of one of our country's most influential churches, the National Community Church in Washington, D.C. Mark also in the show shares that he aspires to have those who know him best again to respect him most and this sharing came from the family and friends spoke of the Ziegler wheel of life as this is our habits show and something else that resonated with me came from Mark's sharing in the physical spoke that he staunchly believes the physical and spiritual disciplines foster each other I almost titled the show also the the Holy Spirit plus caffeine equals awesome that was another of Mark's quotes so you're going to get a lot of inspiration and ideas as always from this audit of the habits of one of our culture's big influencers and you can uh, connect with Mark uh, at markbatterson.com but you'll enjoy hearing more from him till then thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together <laughs>